What is crack-a-lacking, hardware Knox listeners? I am Dan Valley coming at you without my fantabulous co-host, Adam Brommel. I am, however, super pleased to be joined by longtime friend and colleague and frequent guest, Grant Hughes from Bleach Report. Follow him on Twitter at GT underscore Hughes. We actually have him coming on for two pods this week, the first of which is going to be our conference finals preview. So we get into Mavs Warriors and Heat Celtics, of course. Usual housekeeping notes before we get started. Please, please consider rating, reviewing, and subscribing to us wherever you get your podcasts, especially if this is your first time listening. We do put in a lot of hard work around here and are only modestly insufferable when it comes to national NBA coverage. Follow us on Twitter at Hardwood Knox. Follow us on Instagram at Hardwood underscore Knox. We are on TikTok at Hardwood Knox. Follow our YouTube channel. Join our Discord. The links to all of these things, including our social handles, are in the podcast description. It helps us out a ton when you subscribe, download every episode, and follow us on all the socials. And we are posting organic content on IG, YouTube, and TikTok. So there is a reason to have us there. We do these, these shorts a lot of the time on all three of those, those mediums. And if you've done all those things, please consider recommending us to friends, family members, acquaintances, coworkers, any randos on the internet who you know may like basketball. We super duper incredibly appreciate it. And we appreciate every single one of you for listening. Without further delay, let's get into our conference finals preview with Bleacher Reports, Grant Hughes. Grant, welcome back to the Hardware Knox podcast. It's been a minute by the standards to which you normally come on, the frequency to which you normally come on. Uh, we're going to dive into lots of talk, but first and foremost, how the heck are you? I'm doing great. Uh, I'm sure that the the extended hiatus is my fault. I probably uh, had to tell you I couldn't do it a couple times, but um, it's a it's a it's a good stretch right now for Grant's because and it doesn't happen often because Grant Williams went off. We're going to talk about that eventually, but. Uh, you know, it's always nice when one of the few really uh, does the name proud. So shout out to Grant Williams first thing on this one. I thought you were going to say it's a good day for Grant too, because the Warriors are in the, the conference finals and favorites to make it out of the conference finals. Well, that's all, that, that, that's a, uh, that's a given. That's uh, but we're not talking about me. We're going to talk about the other grants and the other players that are actually playing in these series. And instead of me, that's just watching them happily in the case of the Warriors. Yeah, so let's dig into, we'll start with Warriors-Mavs. That is, I wouldn't call it the more compelling one. Um, they're, they're Both these series are compelling, and they just are a reminder how much I was wrong about this season. I missed on the Mavs like on multiple occasions because I just didn't buy into anything, and here they are sitting in the conference finals where I spent all this time like thinking about their roster construction, how they could get better, and there's a real chance that they're just going to be in the NBA finals. So starting just off with this series, like what are your, like what is the, like the, the biggest overarching thing you're thinking about heading into the Western conference finals. I mean, I think just taking it from the Warriors perspective, it's what do you do with Luca? Um, and, and I think, I guess it's a, it's a, it's definitely a benefit, even though this is a different Warriors team than years past, but like they've seen, you know, peak James Harden in series and beaten them. They've seen peak LeBron. It, like they're not this this idea of there's a transcendent offensive player that kind of just carries this whole team and seems unstoppable. That's not a new experience for a lot of the principals on the Warriors. Um, but the the scary thing I think for them is that Luca just is sort of an evolved version of Harden because he's just I mean Harden wasn't you know threatening triple doubles all the time. Uh, he he was sort of a guy that you, you know, you learn the basics of, you know, keep your hands up, don't foul him, make him try to score. Luca, I think just, it's crazy to say, but Luca seems like a more complete offensive player than Harden was. Um, and maybe that's doing, Certainly you know, Pete Harden a disservice. What? Certainly. He just, 
games he does. Yeah, in elimination games, it's just the guy just doesn't have bad games. It seems like when it matters, um, if you're trying to draw distinctions between Luca and Harden, that's a big one. But um, how they defend him, I, you know, they they can't. You can't trap him. You can't double him. Um, he's going to hunt switches and try to just cook Curry or Pool or almost any, you know or get a big out. Try to get Kevon Looney when he's in the game, which probably won't be that much. Um, but that's the big, what do you do? What do you do with them? Um, and, and how do you slow them down or do you just let them get 50 and stay home on everybody else? I don't know. I think that's going to be the real kind of the, the pivot point of the series. That would be among my biggest questions for the Warriors entering this. And I think it hurts that I don't think Gary Payton II is expected to play because I imagine that he would end up being a pretty big part of, even if not going after Luca primarily because of the size difference, um, just having someone else there if you were going to run traps or just to make sure that like you're you're stamping out the other actions, um, other players on the the Mavs offense. And then even just, I guess, Otto Porter Jr. is supposed to be fine. Like I have to imagine he looms pretty large in this series. And my 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 I think my actual biggest question for them was based off what the Mavericks are doing, and I think what we know the Mavericks are going to do and the way that they play, is this a series where it's like Golden State needs to play big, where we're going to see a lot of Looney and Dre? Or is it one where they need to play small because Dallas's most successful lineups have just ostensibly been the five out ones where they're not, you know, Maxi Kleba is not really a small ball. He's like seven, he's a seven footer. He's not like really a small ball five, but to have that five outiness and to go up against that, I guess like Kavan, like Looney and, and Draymond, that's fine to do. But if you did want to downsize, that would probably increase the importance of Otto Porter Jr. even more. And my final thing there would be, is this even a, you know, what do they call the the liquid death lineup? Is that a series for this one? Because they, you know, they, those five, you know, pomp and circumstance in the first round. And then we go in the second round, they play 32 minutes. They win those minutes by a total of three points, shoot like 21% from three during that stretch. And so I'm just, has the novelty of it worn off? And then also how does it sort of match up against a Mavericks team where if Luca's on the floor, like he'll hunt, like <laughs> he'll go hunting against that lineup. Yeah, for sure. I think I think one one benefit. So I think Looney will play, but he's only going to play if Dwight Powell's in the game. Probably. I think that's how it's going to start. I think uh, if you have him, look like Looney is a better perimeter defender than most like quote unquote conventional bigs. Even though he's even really kind of undersized in that role. So mm-hmm. him getting switched out onto Doncic, I think, is like actually less of a five alarm fire. It's like a two alarm fire. Whereas Pool is a full lot like send all the engines that's a huge problem he has no chance um so looney might play a little bit but i think you know you're talking about how the the pool party lineup thing like you know fluctuates in effectiveness over these couple of series i do think it's a benefit that the warriors can play a little bigger which they had to down in in those last couple games against memphis you know they can play looney and green together that's an option they can sort of, it would be great. We didn't mention Andre Iguodala. I think it's, it's kind of like you got to smirk when you say it because he just, just doesn't play anymore. But if you could get 10 minutes of him in the game, I don't think Doncic is going to just run over him. So that'd be, that'd be another guy along with Porter or Peyton. Peyton, I don't think, is going to play Porter Will. Um, so they can get real switchy and long with Curry out there still. Um, Wiggins will take the bulk of the, the minutes on Doncic. I think Clay can hold up a little bit, but yeah, they're going to have to mix and match. And this might be a series as I start to kind of talk it out in my head where, which seems to happen with the Warriors, they don't quite figure out what the best way to do things are until like game four or five. Um, and fortunately, they have kind of the pieces to 
you know, once they figure out what that best thing to do is, they can do it. That they have enough lineup versatility. I think Kaminga might even get some individual time on Doncic. They they keep giving him chances, and he keeps not doing much with them. But just his athleticism is another thing. Um, they might even play zone. I don't know. Um, but yeah, like I, I think we did see with Jokic, for example, against the Nuggets, the Warriors kind of let Jokic score. And, and I think they're comfortable with that. And that is how they've tended to deal with superstar offensive engines is just try to limit the other guys and don't make him, you know, don't give him the easy passes for wide open shots for the rest of the guys to get them going. So it's going to take a committee approach. It's going to take all hands on deck. It's going to take every possible defensive permutation. Cause the other thing is if you show Doncic one coverage for an extended period of time, he'll just figure it out. So it, it's going to take, it's going to take everything I think to slow him down. What have you thought of just the Mavs defense overall? They were, I again, missed on the Mavs completely this season. Their defense has been fantastic. It's been suffocating. They did great um, picking the spots where they needed to blitz Phoenix. And I know a lot of people were talking about Devin Booker's you know, lack of effectiveness there, but they also just like playing these possessions straight up at points. Like they did a fantastic job there against Phoenix as well. And it's just Reggie Bullock's been huge. We know what Dorian Finney-Smith does. Maxi Kleba, uh, I don't want to say he found the fountain of youth, but like he went from being like one of the most underrated, like mobile defenders. Then there was a year and a half where it felt like, Oh, is he cooked or is he slower? And now he's just juiced up yet again. Uh, they are, I did not, I could not have seen this coming. And so how do you think like they match up defensively looking at the Warriors offense? Yeah, it's pretty wild. I didn't see this coming defensively at all for them. And part of that was because uh, I mean, I'll, I'll, you know, stand up and say like, I thought the Jason Kidd hire was a huge mistake. I thought um, it was terrible for every possible reason character wise and just what he did with the bucks. But what he did do, what he does tend to do is bring a defensive mentality. Like he, it, it, that is like the thing you point to when you're hiring him, I think, or one of the main things. Um, and it just like, yeah, we, we knew Finney Smith was a great defender. He's a one through four guy. And now as small as the series might get, he may just be a one through five defender. Um, Bullock is great, but I just, it seems like there should be places to attack because Brunson's small, like there's, you know, if I think Andrew Wiggins potentially could get some, some of his, you know, bailout low percentage step back twos against Brunson, if it comes to that. Um, and Doncic should be someone you should be able to tire out, but all, all those guys have held up defensively. So uh, I just, I don't know what you do. I think if Powell is in the game, that's probably someone you can coax out into a switch, but um, yeah, Dallas is just really impressed defensively. And like, you know, there were, there were stretches during the year. I forget what they finished on defense. I want to say seventh or fourth or something, or maybe the seventh overall and fourth over the second half, but they were the best defensive team in the league for like, you know, three, four weeks at a time during the year. So it's not like they're running hot. Um, mm. And they just, they, I, I do think the challenge will be different because Phoenix was a historically accurate mid-range shooting offense until it wasn't. Um, and so the challenge of defending an offense like that, that's just a weird setup to play against the Warriors oddly are going to be a little more conventional. They want threes and layups. Um, so I, I don't know which way that cuts, but I do think at least if you're looking for ways for, for Dallas to kind of come back to earth, if that's even the right way to phrase it on defense, maybe it's just because Phoenix kind of beats itself if it's not making two point jump shots. I, I don't know. I, I think that Dallas's defense is for real. The Warriors are going to, run into a, a challenge right right on par with what Memphis did, if if not maybe quite as like disruptive and turnover forcing. But Dallas is not gonna just roll over and get scored on. 
Yeah, and I go back and forth on it too because the numbers will say that the Suns got to the rim at a higher clip during the playoffs so far than the Warriors. The Warriors seem like they are built to put more pressure on the rim just where it's like if you're throwing – CP3 was donezo at this point in the series. If you're throwing a kitchen sink at Devin Booker, asking Mikael Bridges or Cam Johnson or Jay Crowder be like it's a lot different if that's Jordan Poole or even if it's Clay Thompson who not putting pressure on the rim but someone who could still pull up. And then even Draymond's decision-making going downhill. But then I'm juxtaposing that against the fact that Draymond has not really been good on offense. And like the, I'm, I looked earlier before we recorded this, I was looking at the, the numbers when Dre and Looney were playing together. Like the Warriors have a 117 offensive rating per clean the glass, those two on the courts. Like they've been generating offense anyway. I, I feel like their armory is deeper of players who are going to be able to create um, when things bogged down for Stephen Curry than it was for in Phoenix. When you looked at what happened to Chris Paul, what the Mavs were able to do to Devin Booker, particularly over those final two games. But then I'm also just like, the Warriors have gotten off to slow starts. I was going to ask you what you make of just, you know, like Steph. Like if you, I, we, I was talking to messages, like you break down his usage rate by quarter. And it's almost like they, they ease him into the game or he eased himself into the game before like really taking over in the fourth. That doesn't feel like it's going to fly against Dallas. Yeah. I think you brought up a great point about, about, uh, how Dallas might attack. So there was a game this year. Um, I forget which of the four meetings it was where the Mavericks trapped Curry, put two on the ball every time he touched it for the whole fourth quarter. And Curry didn't attempt a field goal in the fourth quarter. It was a game. The Warriors won by a ton because Curry got off the ball and a lot of it was green on the short roll. And then it's four on three. Um, the Warriors have, have loved to play that style over the years. Um, I would be really interested to see if Dallas goes to that because it, that might be a way that pool gets going. And I think Dallas, Dallas will be very happy if the Grizzlies series pool by and large is the one they get versus the Denver one. Um, and I don't think you want to give him space to operate. Same with Draymond, same with clay. So they, but, but they did it for a whole quarter. It might've been like a Jason kid. I'm, I know I'm going to meet these guys in the conference finals. I'm going to, you know, not tip my hand on what I'm going to do. I doubt it. Um, but that was a really interesting approach. And I think too, like Warriors do play a style offensively when they get played conventionally where there's a just relentless running around. And if, if you want to wear out Doncic, or if you want to start maybe trying to chip away at guys like Bullock and Finney Smith that played a ton of minutes have played so many minutes in these playoffs. I think that's a pretty taxing style to defend, even if you're switching, because there's just Mentally, there's, you know, screw ups just waiting to happen at every turn, trying to chase the Warriors shooters around. So it's going to be a challenge. Obviously, you should go without saying it's going to be a challenge for Dallas, but um, how how they hold up sort of stamina wise and how much they throw at Curry, I think are a couple of things I'll, I'll be keeping an eye on. Do you think there's and part of me feels like this is an oversimplification when people talk about the Warriors offense needing more like Steph centralism? Because if you actually look at the data, I was surprised at actually how many pick and rolls they ran with Steph last series. At the same time, they're not like you're mentioning like trying to wear other guys out. If there are mismatches to exploit, the Warriors aren't necessarily a team that feels like they go after them. And so there is that level of me in it. Like, can't we like if you need to for stretches, like Steph should be more heliocentric. And it go it comes back to the fact where the Warriors peak might actually be the scariest still in the NBA. It's just how sustainable is it? Because when they're running roughshod and everything's working, it feels like it's happening in minutes long spurts and featuring more of Steph feels like a way to kind of get you through the 
I don't even want to call it the valleys, but like more of the the median minutes that you're playing. And especially just against this team, if you're looking to maybe wear out one particular matchup, is it important to try and get after, um, to get into more of that? And then I, the final thing I'll say is, I think about this, I'm like, it really just doesn't fucking matter because I don't think the Warriors are going to change how they've always played. Like that's just been a criticism for for how long? Yeah, that's, that's exactly going to say that. That that has been, when things have run bad for the Warriors, the number one criticism is just, we'll just play high pick and roll with Stefan Draymond and like that'll fix everything. And it does work, but I think Steve Kerr just doesn't, it's very clear, assuming Steve Kerr will be the head coach and not Mike Brown, um, Kerr hates that. He just doesn't like the type of setup where all the action originates one way and it's basically Curry is going to get off the ball to Draymond. He's going to drive, he's going to pull up or he's going to kick to a corner. And like, that's our offense. He doesn't want to play that way. He never has. I do think there are situations and the Warriors know this where like if Powell is in the game, for example, that's someone you probably just play high pick and roll against a little more. If it's Kleba, I don't know if there's a huge advantage into generating a switch or, or, you know, trying to play that way. I do think it, it, this is talk about oversimplification. I do think you just have to involve Doncic in as many actions as you possibly can. Um, because now it seems very clear that the only way that he can be stopped is if he just gets tired. Um, and even, even that narrative was a little sort of, I don't know, not reflective of what really happened in his prior playoff series and in, in years past, because his numbers would always be awesome still. Um, but I do think just, you know, if you're, if you're going against a superstar, it's just, it's like rule one of the book. You just have to try to wear him down defensively and make him work. Everyone tries to do that to Curry. Uh, I, I just think that, that that's when the high pick and roll and the, just the basic heliocentric stuff, I think has to come into play a little bit, but they don't want to do it. That that's really clear. Just like they're probably not even going to want to double him either. And if you want to yeah. out, you would think that they need to do one of preferably both, but one of those two things, although to Doncic's credit, on the playoffs, the Mavs are scoring when he's double teamed as a team, 1.37 points per possession when he is double teamed. That is absurdly good for anyone wondering what that means. I know it, it's so tempting to just, right? Because just stepping back, you would you would think like, well, if Doncic is this great, I mean, how bad could it really be to just make it so he's not the guy with the ball in his hands? Just put two on him and like, it, you know, that's it just logically shouldn't that work. But as you say, the numbers do not suggest that that works. Um, I, I, I'm really interested to see if the Warriors try it, but Doncic is so big and so adept at just like, you know, manipulating the defense and finding the easiest pass there is for the cleanest look they're going to get that, you know, that might be the type of thing the Warriors try two or three times and, and they give up, you know, two threes and a dunk and they scrap it. Cause like, you know, you would think you'd try that against Jokic Jokic and Doncic are weirdly kind of similar. You know, they require you to think kind of similarly uh, in terms of how you're going to scheme against them defensively. Cause just getting the ball out of their hands doesn't seem to work because they want to pass anyway. So I, I, I don't know. I'm also curious to see how um, Golden State approaches this series. Cause Dallas isn't the, and part of that might be the way that they're playing right now in the personnel. They're also like, they're not the best rebounding team on the defensive boards right now. So if you're the Warriors, that might be sort of the, if you're trying to maybe dictate the style of play, like maybe leaning on Looney and Draymond that way. But then I'm like, I'm just trying to go through this stream of conscious, like the punch for punch, where Dallas has been really good at forcing turnovers. There's been no team that has been worse at protecting the ball in the playoffs yeah. than Golden State 
right now? And how is that, if you're giving, you know, the Mavs are not a team that's looking to run. Like it's just not, but if you're getting into a point where Golden State doesn't even have a chance, like fully set at defense, that's like, that's sort of difficult to imagine what happens there. So I'm, I mean, this feels like it's going to be more of a chess match series than I really think that people have talked about. I know everyone's, you know, and we'll get into this in a second, but like this, the heat and the Celtics, how that's going to play out. I just feel like there are going to be so many like granular calls that are made throughout this series because I want to see the first like one, two or three games to see like what's actually happening because there's like a lack of feel there for me right now for how these two are going to go out one another. A hundred percent. It's going to be, it's, it takes me, it makes me think back to like, years ago some of the warriors the warrior series against the grizzlies the famous like the tony allen series where you know the warriors didn't quite know what to do with him and well we can just take him out of the game by leaving him open and putting andrew bogan on him in the corner like that didn't happen until later in the series i think this is going to be one of those where whoever sort of figures it out in game three or four or maybe even later you know you never know um is going to have the advantage it just obviously but uh i just think it's going to, this series will take twists and turns and like the way that it looks in the first quarter of game one, it will look nothing like that in, you know, the fourth quarter of game five, it'll be a completely different sort of setup by then. Who's your, let's wrap up with these. Who's your biggest X factor for the start of the Warriors in this series? Uh, I think it's, that's tough. I mean, if it's got to be like not a superstar, it's probably Wiggins, um, which is like terrifying. If you're a Warriors fan, he likes to rebound all of a sudden. I'm well, it. it's not, it's some one every once in a while, he really just gets after it. Um, but he's going to have the primary assignment on Doncic. He's going to have to make some threes. He's going to have to rebound, especially if the Warriors end up going small um, and taking Looney off the floor. But I think, I think he's a real swing guy. And, and like saying that there will be two games in this series where he is a zero. Like it's just, you just price that in and you hope you get four or five where he's, you know, the best defensive player on the floor and he scores, you know, 18 points on 10 shots or something. I have pool for them just because I think that I I assume we're going to get to a point where Dallas really tries to go after Steph and he's going to be just based off how Draymond has played. And I know Clay's been a little bit better, but you're going to need someone to make plays like putting the ball on the floor and make scoring plays that way. I think pool is going to be the most important player off that, but that could completely flip depending on how Dallas wants to approach this series defensively as well yeah i think i think one thing to watch real quick just with with the pool stuff he could have a monster series if this does become a five out kind of thing on both ends because he had, he couldn't get much going against the grizzlies because steven adams and jaron jackson were in there and it's just like congratulations you beat d'anthony melton there's two seven footers waiting and pool as skilled as he is as a finisher he just doesn't have the size or the vert to like finish over two huge contests so if the Mavericks space it out, which is their best offensive configuration, maybe that does get pool going. Who's your X factor for the Mavericks? Oh, that's a good question. It might be, it might just be Kleba. I think I'm going to say Kleba because if he's able to really keep the Warriors from staying big and just takes that option off the table and makes, you know, four or five threes a game, um, and still doesn't give away a ton defensively that limits some of the warriors options. It tilts the rebounding battle towards Dallas. Um, if you take Looney off the floor, I mean, so I think he has the, he's got a chance to really kind of like we were talking about a minute ago, change sort of the, the format of this series. And I think that would swing it in Dallas's favor if he's just making shots. 
That's a good one. I have Bullock. Just I think he's going to be the one that sees the most time against Steph. The whole regular season just blurs together. The teams like teams not being healthy against one another. We had that two month stretch where there were all these no names playing for for teams. I assume he's going to be. I'm sure we'll see Dorian Finney Smith. I'm sure we'll see others, but he's going to be like the primary first guy. I feel like on Steph. And just based off the minutes they've had, he averaged more minutes per game last series than any other player on the Mavericks. That includes Doncic. I know the blowouts skew that a little bit, but they've relied on him a ton defensively. So if he's able to just, maybe you're not going after Steph hardcore every single possession because Bullock's really making him work. That frees you up to do a lot of other stuff on the defensive end. And if he's making his threes, I feel like there was a lot of variance caked into Dallas's uh, non-Luka players last series. Uh and so he's just, I think you could say this about anybody though, like Kleba, or if it's Dwayne Finney Smith hitting his threes, are we getting a good Spencer Dinwiddie game? Jalen Brunson's been up and down since the Jazz series as well. Yeah, it really does come down to how many threes Dallas's role players make. I mean, that might be the simple, like if you had to pick a statistic to determine the series, that that might be it, just because it's going to be Luca passing to those guys. And if they make them, Dallas is hard to beat. If they don't, then Dallas doesn't have enough. With all that said, what's your pick? I'm going to say Warriors in seven. I think home court matters. Um, and I do, I just have faith that the Warriors have seen enough of like this type of superstar at this stage of the playoffs that they're kind of uniquely, at least experience wise, equipped to, to handle Doncic. But uh, I, I think I just, <laughs> Luca is, Luca is so undeniably great that it's, it's really scary. I couldn't, I couldn't pick less than seven just in deference to how good Luca has been. I'm the same with Warriors and seven and, and part of the reason why I've been burned by the Mavericks too many times to doubt them now. And also the Warriors haven't exactly incited confidence after that game five victory over Memphis, where everyone was like, Oh, it feels like they found was, or what was a game four, whatever the victory was where Memphis didn't have like job wasn't at full strength. The Warriors had to come from behind to win. I was like, I guess it's fine that they can do that. This feels like it'll eventually kept catch up with them against a healthier team, a better team. That could be Dallas. I feel like the series will just wind up going longer based off that. The Warriors just slow starts. Um, so, yeah, and then Luka, just the greatness of Luka. And then, the support. look, the supporting cast has been fantastic defensively, and it feels like they have enough, I don't want to call them stabs in the dark, but options where it's Spencer Dinwiddie, Brunson, or Bullock, Finney Smith, and Kleba, like all reigning threes. Like there's just enough, there's enough options to where like maybe one or two of those guys at least will go off every single game. That would bring us to Heat Celtics. What are your, what's your just biggest overarching thought leading into this series? I think the, well, I mean, it feels like we just saw these two teams, but it was a couple years ago in the conference finals. Um, I think the main thing is stylistically, this is going to just become an isolation one-on-one series because both of these teams can put lineups on the floor that will just switch everything. Um, so you're going to see a ton of, you know, Bam Adebayo get switched out onto Tatum let's watch him try to beat him like that's that's what's going to happen and then you know jimmy butler gets uh jalen brown picked off of him and he's got to try to beat al horford like that's just i can see both teams switching a bunch um and like there will be other ways to go miami will play some zone uh you know and and boston might go double big and that could change some things uh but i think at the core it's just going to be can tatum score in isolation um consistently against a bunch of different defenders, some of whom are just phenomenal, uh, Autobio, Butler, PJ Tucker. Uh, and on the other side, uh, can the heat do the same? Uh, because I think like barring, you know, taking guys out, like say Peyton Pritchard on the Celtic side or Tyler hero, or even if Kyle Lowry plays, I think he might be someone you'd try to go at just to test the hamstring. 
Um, but otherwise there's not going to be a lot of guys to pick on really. Uh, so I think it's going to look kind of similar on both ends until again, like the other series we talked about one or the other of these two teams kind of figures out, well, where's, where's the weak point? Cause there's going to be a lot of probing, I think early on to just kind of see if, if there's anything they can get to offensively beyond let's have our best guy go at whoever gets switched onto him. And they were to your point, these teams are the two heaviest switching teams in the league from the the regular season. And so there's definitely going to be a ton of that. I am wondering how much it feels like it's going to be a very defense first series, uh, but then it's sort of, could it be determined by who's going to carve out the, the higher offensive ceiling? And I immediately gravitate towards Boston there because it feels like, look, the Lowry injury hovering over all this with the hamstring. I know Marcus Smart's dealing with the midfoot sprain as well, but Boston just has a lot of like, like a lot of ball movers when their offense is really at it, at its peak. And Jason Tatum has come a long way. I mean, after the uh, game five collapse in the fourth quarter, like he turned in two masterpieces where it was even where he didn't necessarily have it going at points in game seven, like he was able to move the ball and he's improved by leaps and bounds as sort of that orchestrator. I do feel like, and I don't know if this is the incorrect stance. I feel like I trust Boston's half court offense more than Miami uh, if Miami's going to be able to get out though, like enforce turnovers and run and go after Boston before they, they set, I feel like they might have the more dangerous um, shooting peak. Whereas I think you could look at Boston and say, well, look at Grant Williams and Horford and what they've done and Jason Tatum, they have the better shooters and Miami isn't playing Duncan Robinson right now. But like part of the charm of like Max Strews can hit some of those difficult threes and has a little bit more of the floor game than Duncan Robinson isn't going to get maybe picked on as much defensively. I think we also saw Jimmy Butler kind of, you know, in, in um, the series against the Sixers, like, no, Butler isn't a great jump shooter now. But, like, if you're going to leave him open and he can just dribble into, like, a midi, like, he's improved his percentage on jumpers in the past whatever postseasons, and this season is no different. And uh, so I'm just I'm, – I, I think I still lean, though. Like, if, like, getting – if your defense is set, I don't think Miami's offense is going to, like, just have the necessary counters there, I guess, or won't have enough of them, especially – if Lowry is injured, I feel like his absence, I know he hasn't necessarily had his best year, but like his absence might actually hurt the heat more than smarts or even, you know, you, I think they expect Robert Williams the third to be ready, but I think his absence, Lowry's absence hurts Miami more than either of those two for, for Boston. And so it feels like the heat are really going to have to get to a point where they're for, forcing a lot of turnovers um, or slowing down Boston's offense to the point that there are going to be more missed shots. And then you're able to get out and, and run in which case Lowry is even more important to that as the guy who sort of gets those going. Yeah. I think, I think that brings that elevates heroes importance in the series because he is someone that in a half court set for Miami can make stuff happen. I mean, that's, that's his entire role on the team is, is create, you know, whether it's pick and roll, whether it's, whether it's just trying to score in isolation, scoring off movements, trying to, trying to find gaps. Hero is, I mean, I don't, I mean, Butler's a great offensive player. I think hero is, is in a weird way, like the heat's kind of offensive barometer, but the, that, that might play right into Boston's hands because we just talked about like, well, these teams are going to be looking for weak points and relatively speaking on defense hero is one of those. So like the question may come down to how much defensive integrity are the heat willing to sacrifice in order to have someone out there or another person out there assuming Lowry is not healthy or, or can't, or maybe with Lowry uh, to keep your offense running. Cause this Boston defense is just like, it's just so, so good. It's so good. Um, they, they, they're able, and this was, I mean, they looked incredible against the bucks 
without Robert Williams for like, you know, I don't know how many games he missed in the series. It's just like, he was an afterthought, which is insane. Cause like he was a defensive player of the year, like legit, you know, in the conversation guy. And even without him, it's just, they're impenetrable. They're just, they're so good. So <sighs> hero's really important. Cause like, I just don't know what else you're going to do. I mean, Adebayo is a great passer is cool. Like the, the heater. I mean, the Celtics are just going to be there on the guys that used to be open against other worst defenses. So I, I think the more I think about it, how the heat find enough offense without giving up their defense uh, is, is kind of the the thing I'm looking at now. I, I just, I just don't know where, where the points come from against that defense. And it may not matter. That defense may be so good. It just, it, it doesn't matter who's on the floor for Miami. And it's almost like they just had to do like, and Giannis had a good series, but you right. just had to go up against Giannis and Butler has been spectacular, but he's not Giannis. And so like Giannis had problems against Al Horford for like the first part of the series. Even there's like issues in game seven, the, the Celtics are like built to ruffle like this exact type of offense that might need to funnel all of its downhill pressure to one guy. And so I would agree with you that Tyler hero then becomes all that more important because you need like that additional tough shot maker. It's just, I don't know. Boston's defense is special and it's, I, it doesn't even matter what type of lineup they're going to throw out. If Robert Williams is coming off the bench, are you playing too big? Is this a Derek white type of series? They feel like they have an answer for however Miami's going to want to stylistically lean. Um, I guess just what you could say, though, is Miami's defense is so good. Do you trust Boston's offense to actually get through that in the half court? And I, I do. The Celtics have had a more interesting offensive peak to me where their ball is sort of the ball is pinging around. Um, you have Jalen Brown making super quick decisions. You have Tatum like really just skewering teams uh, with his decision making out of double teams. You have Grant Williams shooting a trillion percent from three or before that was Al Horford really just cooking. I guess they should have enough ancillary weapons, but it the same time, it also feels like Miami is the deeper overall team because of the contributions they've gotten from a Max Struess, a Gabe Vincent, a Victor Oladipo. And maybe that comes down to, is the lineup composition going to determine more of this series than anything, as you sort of just outlined? Because what are the heat? Like, if if Lowry like, can play, is he even helping you on defense at this point more than a Victor Oladipo would? That's a serious, that's a serious question at this Yeah. Time. No, I agree. I, I think, too, you just made me think of something else that – in both in in the case of both of these teams, there's kind of a, some important stuff we don't know um, on on the Heat side, and I I, I feel like I'm we're, we're both kind of talking the Heat down a little too much. They have a real chance in this series that they're the number one seed in the East, like of course. But on on the Heat side, you know their route to this point didn't feature like any serious test because you know the the Sixers team was kind of just coming undone and not you know if Embiid's healthy and Harden is 2017 Harden that's a different conversation they're a lot harder to guard neither neither that wasn't the case for either of them so we're not super sure if Miami's as good as it has looked on the other side it's more of a granular sort of uncertainty I guess because speaking to Boston's offense as you you just mentioned the Bucks will happily give you all the threes you want and Boston obliged and you know Brooke Lopez is a very different interior defender than Adebayo is. And Grant Williams' monster three game in game seven was a product of Brooke Lopez. And just the Bucks in general, just not, they're not going to come out. They're, they're just going to guard the rim and give you 53 point attempts in the game and good luck to you. 
And the Celtics, at least on the right nights, are very much equipped to exploit that. Now, the Heat are going to test them differently. I don't think Boston's going to get away with getting off that many threes and certainly not that many clean threes. So while I do agree that Boston's offense, I, I think I like a little better just because Tatum can just get you what you need a lot of the time. Uh, I think there are some questions still because I do think that the Heat are not going to just kind of give, just sort of let the variance gods decide if they win or lose by allowing a bunch of threes uh, and, and the Celtics made a lot of hay against Milwaukee that way. Um, and even if I think Milwaukee was a better team than the Heat are, um, and that went seven. So even with the Celtics kind of getting some things handed to them as far as their shots, uh, I, I think, you know, there, there are some questions still for, for how, they, how the Heat are going to pose different challenges for Boston's offense. I've also wondered, though, if they might, in not the same level of volume, but they still like do sort of invite threes with the amount of time we've seen them go into zone or just the looks that they're giving mm-hmm. up. Opponents are shooting 32.7% on wide open threes against them in the playoffs. I know some people firmly believe that the Heat sort of pick and choose who are taking those shots. Um, they've done a good job of guarding into the shot clock at points, too. And I feel like if you go after Tatum, at the beginning, that might be a way to put Boston into sort of its late shot clock offense. And that could be a problem if they're able to get the ball out of his hands. I think even Brian Scalabrini mentioned on the low post that you know they might just force him like left or force the ball out of his hands entirely. And so that's some, that might be an antidote to really slowing Boston's offense. This is just a tough series for me to fathom. It does feel like it's going to be a glorious rock fight and that every game might flirt with the under. Uh, who do you have as your X factor for, let's start with, let's start with Boston. Uh, that's a great, let's see when I don't want to pick an obvious one. I think I'm going to, okay. <laughs> I think I'm going to go Grant Williams and not just cause he's another grant. Um, because he was clearly the X factor against Milwaukee. Like he decided the series more or less, uh, I think, but just sort of zooming out, I think if he's able to be the 4.5, assuming Horford's in there too, and you can, get away with that and you can space and you and so the 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 Celtics can space five out I think that's going to be huge for allowing them to score enough and what I agree will be a rock fight but if it's got to be Robert Williams and it's got to be Horford at the same time things get a little cramped and maybe a little tougher so I think if Williams can stay on the floor the sort of schematic stuff shake out in such a way that he's a benefit on both ends and he can make you know a few threes a game and switch across it's heavy switch series, switch across a bunch of positions, I think he could make a big difference. I think I'm with you too. And also if you're able to go with have play, maintain your five out integrity on, on offense, and then also have a lineup out there that is going to be more of a deterrent for like Jimmy Butler's physicality when he's going downhill. Uh, we know that would be the bigger question mark is Horford Williams better suited to go after that. Or can you get away with the Grant Williams out Horford stuff there? I think as we saw against Milwaukee, a lot of those minutes, uh, with Williams and Horford were fine. Um, but yeah, I, I actually was going to pick Grant Williams for the Celtics as well. Who do you have as your heat X factor? I think it's hero. Um, it's it's kind of cliche to just pick, you know, the high scoring six man. Cause usually it's, well, if he gets hot, great. If you know, they can, he can make a difference, but like, like I already talked about, I think he kind of can determine, you know, what Miami looks like on both ends to a greater extent than any non-star uh, or non-superstar player in, in this game. Because if he scores and he doesn't get eaten up on defense, then maybe the Heat's offense is fine. And that 
really tilts things towards Miami. But if he gets picked on, if he can't hold up, or if he just has a couple cold games, I don't think that he can score enough. We have the same X Factor here too. This is terrible <laughs> podcasting. But like I'm really thinking, is Tyler Hero going to see a bunch of double teams in this series? Because that's how important he's going to be to, to Miami's offense. Uh, especially if Jimmy Butler isn't playing, like there are going to be minutes Jimmy Butler isn't on the court. So that's what I've honestly thought about. I also, I think you could make a case. This is probably too star-esque, but like Bam Adebayo uh, ends up being huge in this series, especially if you're dealing with a hobbled Kyle Lowry or no Kyle Lowry at all. Yeah. He's the linchpin of the defense. Like if he, if he, I mean, and you could argue he's as equipped to, to hang with Jason Tatum in a one-on-one situation as like almost anyone in the league. Cause he can show length. He's not going to get blown by. And if he does, he can contest, you know, rear view contest, chase down. I, like, I think there will be a ton of time where Adebayo is guarding Tatum in this series and how that matchup plays out is going to be huge. What's your pick for this series? I got to go Boston in six. Um, I just, I can't, I can't pick Boston winning game seven on the road. So sort of by definition, you have to, I have to do it that way. Um, it honestly I think it's more likely to be fewer than six games and Boston wins than, than this going seven. I have Boston in six as well. I can't get over my concerns for Miami's half court offense enough. I think the defenses, you can make a case they're They're feel like they're more weak points in what Miami's fielding, but they might be just on par with one another. I would say Boston's is better, but like they can match up pretty well. I think Boston's offense is just going to wind up having more layers to it. And that's going to make the difference. And if it's seven, it is going to be in Miami, though, and that's where that would get super interesting. Yeah, right. Grant, this was great going deep on the series. Be able to tell our listeners where they can find you and all the great work that you do. You can find me at GT underscore Hughes on Twitter, and just uh, check me out on Bleacher Report. I'm uh, putting up plenty of stuff uh, every week all the time.